Hello and welcome to edition number 1960 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording on Thursday the 11th of May 2023 at the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney. I'm Alan Ravel and I edited this edition. This week our four readers are Debbie Diacon, Adam Lethbridge, Valerie Palmer and Stefan Gabshevich. Our recording engineer is Rob Oxpring. And as is usual, we have items taken mainly from the Gazette. Uh, This week the paper's pretty much dominated by local politics. Um, So we'll begin with the Gazette's lead story, read by Debbie, um, with the first of those political tales. And the headline is Lib Dems in Triumphant Mood After Council Gains. The Liberal Democrats came out on top as the largest party as results were announced for the West Oxfordshire District Council elections. Candidates were up for election in 17 seats in Thursday's poll, the first since the Conservative Party lost control of the council after 22 years in charge. Since then, the council has been under the control of a Liberal Democrat, Labour Party and Green Party alliance, and results announced after last week's count mean that alliance mean that that alliance has been strengthened the results in west oxfordshire could have been more catastrophic for the conservative party as they managed to just hold on to a, a very few to just hold on in a few very tightly contested seats michelle mead the former conservative leader in the council nearly lost her carterton south ward After winning by just 37 votes, she said she was relieved that her hard work had been recognised. The Liberal Democrats gained three seats from the Conservative Party, winning in Bampton and Clanfield, Carterton North East and Carterton North West. The big story of the election was the Labour Party managing to retain seats in Whitney despite extremely tight results. The Liberal Democrats are now the largest party on the council with 18 seats, followed by the Conservatives on 17. Speaking to the Whitney Gazette, Liberal Democrat leader in the West Oxfordshire District Council, Andy Graham, said, We've worked so hard to get here. We will act with common sense and will work with other partners to find the common ground so we can get things done. Mr Graham said people on the doorstep had said they liked the alliance between the Liberal Democrats, the Green Party and the Labour Party. The Liberal Democrats' alliance partners made gains, with the Labour Party winning four seats and fending off Conservative challenges in Whitney. The Green Party's candidate, Sandra Simpson, picked up a seat for the party in Whitney North, bringing their total councillors to three. In the Whitney Central Ward, the Labour candidate Andrew Lyon won by only 15 votes, and at Whitney East, the party won by 49 votes. The Labour Party picked up the Chipping Norton seat from independent candidate Mike Carhill, and overall, the party was fortunate to win some very close results. Reacting to the Labour's success in Whitney, Labour councillor Duncan Enright said, I'm very pleased and these results are another step in the right direction. When asked how the, ca- how the results would change the dynamic in the council, Conservative Ms Mead said, The Liberal Democrats are the largest party, 
but they are still forming a coalition, so that won't look a lot different, to be honest. Ms Mead said the Tories had incurred losses because of a national picture. She said, on the doorstep, a lot of people said they wanted change, and I'm just glad we held on where we did. The Liberal Democrats also stormed to a majority in both South Oxfordshire and Vale of White Horse district councils, while Conservatives had their share of seats decimated at the elections. The Lib Dems strengthened their majority in the Vale, gaining four seats over 2019's total, to hold 34 of the 38 available, and also achieved control in South Oxfordshire, which it previously ran as a coalition with the Green Party by gaining eight seats to hold 21 of the 36 on offer. The Green Party increased its share to eight seats in South Oxfordshire despite losing its coalition partnership and increased its number in the Vale of Whitehorse to four seats. The Conservative leader of North Oxfordshire's Charwell District Council said voters could come to regret their decision of who to support at the polls after his party lost control of the authority. The Tories won just three of the 16 seats being contested at the polls. The Liberal Democrats and Labour both won five seats each, while the Green Party claimed two and one went to an independent candidate. Barry Wood, the Conservative group leader who had been leader of the council going into the election, said after the count, Is this a disappointment? Oh, yes. Will it matter to residents here? I think it will. I think there will be a difference. This council has been graded excellent and has first-class services for a very reasonable council tax, so I think local residents may not know what they have done. And next is Adam, uh, with the story giving us more detail on that big local election uh, result. Yes, this uh, article is um, explaining some more uh, detail about what happened uh, on the elections. And the headline is National Issues to Blame for Tories' Election Losses. Conservative Party candidates standing in West Oxfordshire District Council elections have blamed national issues and the party's poor performance across England for their seat losses. The Conservatives lost control of the district last year after 22 years in charge, but many Tories had been hopeful that they could make gains. The council has been under the control of a political alliance between the Lib Dems, the Labour Party and the Green Party. Conservatives lost seats in Bampton and Clanfield, Carterton North East and Carterton North West, as the Liberal Democrats scooped up all three. Ted Fenton, a candidate for Bampton and Clanfield Ward, said candidates had been the victims of national issues and it was a reflection of the party's low popularity nationally. Mr Fenton said, There are an awful lot of national issues being brought up on the doorstep and these are having an influence. He said there was, quote, a complete mess of issues, unquote, which were being brought up by voters and which had nothing to do with the district council. Mr Fenton lost his seat to Liberal Democrat candidate Alistair Ray by just 32 votes. It was difficult for the Conservatives across the board as they narrowly missed out on gains in Whitney, 
where they were beaten by fewer than 50 votes in Whitney Central and Whitney East. The Conservative group leader on the council, Michelle Mead, also nearly became a casualty of the surge in Liberal Democrat support as she was elected to the Carston South Ward by a slim margin of just 37 votes. Ms Mead said she was extremely relieved, but the national picture was a major factor behind the losses that the party had experienced. She said, On the doorstep, there was a lot of people who just said they wanted change. I'm glad at least we held strong. At one stage, Conservatives were fearful that they had lost the Ducklington Ward, and Tory Adrian Walsh won by only eight votes after several recounts. Our Conservative County Councillor Liam Walker was comfortably elected as the new District Councillor for the Haley, Minster Lovell and Leafield Ward. However, he acknowledged that losses were inevitable after the party had been in government for 13 years. Mr Walker said other parties were effective in, quote, capitalising on the national picture and warned Labour could find itself playing a less influential role in the council's alliance than before after the Liberal Democrats gained three more seats. Liberal Democrat council leader Andy Graham said that the electorate should be should be reassured as its councillors would take advantage of conservative losses to find common ground and get things done. Mr Graham dismissed the idea that the party would not continue to work constructively with Labour and Green councillors. He said, our approach to working together should be done nationally. No one party has a domain over the electorate, and the results today in West Oxfordshire have demonstrated this. And now we will hear from Valerie, who has our final local election story. Yes, but I promise you there's no facts and figures in this one. Facts, perhaps, yes. The headline is, Pathetic Vandalism is Condemned After Election Signs Defaced. Conservative election signs put up by a Conservative district councillor were defaced by vandals. Liam Walker, who represents the Hanborough and Minster Lovell division on Oxfordshire County Council, was standing for the Haley, Minster Lovell and Leafield Board on West Oxfordshire District Council. The political signs advertising his bid on the outskirts of Whitney were sprayed with offensive graffiti ahead of last Thursday's local elections. The word conservative had been crossed through and the insult had been sprayed over Mr Walker's name. Mr Walker said he had not reported the damage to the police. He said, It's disturbing that someone has been making out late at night, sneaking out late at night, to deface my election signs. But thankfully... I had plenty more, so replace many of them. And finally, in this first round of stories, uh, it's a change of pace, and it's Stefan with the first of another series of reports, this time about the week's other big story, the coronation of King Charles III. Yes, I have a story here in front of me about our local lady who went to the coronation. Scout chief enjoys brush with stars at the ceremony. Sarah Townsend couldn't believe it when she received an invitation to the King's coronation in Westminster Abbey. 
She was travelling with her parents, Sue and John Lowe, in their car in Cornwall when her mobile phone bleeped and a message came through, I thought it was a scam, she recalls. In fact, it was genuine and on Saturday she took her place in the Abbey with hundreds of others to witness the crowning of King Charles and Queen Camilla. Mrs Townsend, 48, of South Lawn Whitney, who is Deputy District Scout Commissioner for the West Oxfordshire, said it was fantastic. I still can't believe it. I don't think anything like this would come to me. Another thrill after the two-hour ceremony was a meeting of the two favourite TV entertainers, Anton Deck. And there's a photograph, well, two photographs, one photograph of her with Deck and the second one, a very nice portrait of her in the Abbey itself. And she looks like she's enjoying her day. Her day that began at 5am when she came home, left home in the family car with husband Aubrey and younger son Oliver. She made the final part of the journey to the ceremony on London Underground with fellow passengers full of admiration for her coronation attire. We were in our seats in the Abbey by 8am, she said, but the three hours before the ceremony started went very quickly. The music was spectacular. It was an inspiring and humbling experience, a day I will never forget. After the ceremony, she joined, rejoined her husband and son, and they took part in the celebrations out, outside Buckingham Palace. Her invitation in Westminster Abbey followed another important occasion when she received the British Empire Medal in last year's New Year's Honours. This was a recognition of her services to the community in Whitney, particularly during COVID-19. In her role as dispensary manager for the Windrush medical practice in the town, she suggested at the start of the pandemic using scouts to deliver prescriptions to the vulnerable people. She recruited 65 volunteers working with all eight pharmacies in Whitney. When the the scheme ended in July last year, the team had delivered nearly 7,500 prescriptions to those in need. After receiving her medal, Mrs Townsend said, it was a complete surprise and I feel very humbled. This truly is a huge team event. Each and every one of us was helped deserves recognition. Uh, And continuing the coronation theme, this headline is Fun, Games and Feasts as the Coronation is Marked. The rain was fairly constant throughout Saturday's service, but it failed to dampen the spirits when Whitney came out in force to celebrate the coronation. The weekend began with the raising of a new union flag at the town hall by the mayor, Liz Duncan, to mark the occasion. It joined the red, white and blue bunting in and around Market Square, created by Whitney crafting individuals and groups. On Coronation Day, families and friends came together to enjoy a free screening of the ceremony at the Corn Exchange, kicked off with a coronation cry from town crier Jean Postlethwaite Dixon. And there's a picture of her in her long purple coat and a hat with her bell ringing and uh, shouting, well, what do they do? Exclaiming the uh, oh yes, oh yes that town criers do. Thousands of people enjoyed the sun at big lunches on the second day of events. Many people had lunch together on the Lees in Whitney with plenty of Union flag hats and flags on show. 
Children could practice their ball skills with goal nets and giant target organised by Whitney Vikings, while others enjoyed being king or queen for a day in the dress-up photo booth. Fun and refreshments were organised by the coffee shed and Hatwell's Funfair provided rides, while others enjoyed the sunshine and ice cream and later pizza and music from Jazz Amour featuring Ebony. Ducklington was just one of the many villages that held a street party. With around 400 people on the day, there was a picnic, steam engines, live music, Ducklington Morris, free tea and coffee and cakes and free games for children. Carterton children enjoyed coronation lunches in the town square. The council thanked the ladies who prepared the meals and said, The day was a huge success, and thanks goes to everyone involved in making this day so special. Congratulations to Pippa, Oliver and Ashreya who won the crown competition. Meanwhile, among the 520 smart, blue, uniformed, white-gloved Royal Air Force personnel who took part in the historic parade down the Mall were some from RAF Bryce Norton, even if the old British reign put paid to a more substantial fly-past. And there are two other pictures here. One is with a sweet little terrier dog that has um, two Union Jacks sticking out from his collar, and uh, another one of a table full of happy children eating the, uh, eating the lunch there, and it looks like a fun day. And we've got two more uh, stories here, quite short ones, about the coronation, uh, both very nice. And um, the first one, I'm sure we've, uh, we've all perhaps noticed uh, this proliferation of knitted letterbox tops that pop up around the country at various national occasions. And, of course, the coronation was no exception. And this little story is headed, Knitted Postbox Crown Creation is Fit for a King. And the story is, a coronation crotcheter has created a postbox topper fit for a king. The knitted masterpiece features a crown at the centre with over ten figures, including grenadier guards and spectators, and all set off with red, white and blue bunting. The incredible display adorns the postbox in Bampton's Market Square. Postbox toppers have been spotted all around the country as mystery yarn bombers celebrate the coronation with their heartwarming tributes. In Abingdon, a coronation crotcheter created figures of Charles and Camilla. They left a note saying they had raised £500 and the money would be donated to the Ronald MacDonald House in Oxford. And there's a small photograph of the Coronation postbox in Bampton, which is looking very celebratory and jolly, topped by the crown, so that's very nice. And the second story is about Blenheim, uh, and they're celebrating the coronation, and the headline is Palace Tucks Into Fun. Blenheim Palace celebrating the coronation with a picnic on the lawn. Royal-themed afternoon tea picnic boxes with glasses of English sparkling wine were available to buy on the day. In addition to live music from the Storyville Strutters, picnic-goers were joined by esteemed guest Winstan, a Sir Winston Churchill impressionist. 
Blenheim is highlighting its royal links in its exhibition, Royal Connections, Crowns and Coronets, which explains the enduring relationship between the Marlboroughs and the monarchy. A reference to the flypast again. RAF Bryce flypast plans for Big King's birthday. The Royal Air Force has said it is looking forward to staging a flypast for the King after being forced to scale down a show on Coronation Day. More than 60 aircraft from the RAF, Royal Navy and Army have been due to take part in the flypast over Buckingham Palace on Saturday, but said unsuitable weather conditions meant that plan had to be abandoned. Instead, helicopters from the three services and the Red Arrows flying out of Bryce Norton took part in the display for the King and Queen, which lasted for around two and a half minutes. The display team trailed red, white and blue smoke as their hawk jets flew over the crowds gathered outside the palace. The RAF acknowledged it was disappointing that the poor weather prevented all our aircraft participating in the flypast. The service added, The safety of spectators and our pilots and crews always comes first, and the conditions weren't right for the other planned aircraft to join the flypast. We're hoping for clear blue skies in June for the King's birthday flypast. Squadron leader Mike Willers, one of the crew members unable to take part in the flypast, said, Unfortunately, the weather was not suitable for us to safely conduct a flypast. Ultimately, what we need to do is make sure that Whenever we do this sort of thing, we keep our people and our assets safe and everybody on the ground safe. But he said it was good operational practice and we hope for blue skies next month for the King's birthday fly past. Now, as they say, for something entirely different. Man denies strangulation but admits assault. A man admitted putting his hands on his partner's neck but denied throttling her. Stephen Clapton, 47, appeared before Oxford Crown Court on Friday when he pleaded not guilty to a charge of intentional strangulation. He had, however, admitted to a lesser alternative charge of assault by beating. Prosecuting, Matthew Knight said the plea was entered on a full-facts basis, including the placing of hands on the neck of the complainant, not to the extent of amounts to the offence under Section 75A of the Serious Crime Act. Assault took place on September 9th last year in Whitney. Asking that the judge adjourn for the preparation of a new of a pre-sentence report from the probation service, defence barrister George Joseph said his client had one previous conviction relating to domestic violence and had benefited from work he had done with the probation service previously. Recorder Alexander McGregor agreed to the adjournment, but warned Mr Joseph... Mr Clapton should be aware that all options, including custody, are under consideration, particularly in the light of his previous relevant conviction. Clapton, of of Weaver's Close, Whitney, is bailed to return to court on June 2nd. And now I've got four items of news in brief. The first one is headed, Man is charged with assaulting 999 worker. A man has been charged with assaulting an emergency worker after the police were called to a public order incident over the May bank holiday weekend.
Officers attended the incident that took place in the town centre of Whitney in the Market Square on Sunday, April 30th. Kevin Creer, aged 48, of Thorny Lees Whitney, was charged with a count each of assaulting an emergency worker and assault with intent to resist arrest. Creer is due to appear at Oxford Magistrates Court later this month with a court date set for this Monday. The second item heading is Music Fest for Church. A fun-filled musical weekend with international artists alongside the best local music talent are promised at Alverstock Music Festival. The event on July 15th-16th will feature music from the Ben Holder Quartet, Libby T and headliners The Zodiacs and Head. The Sunday offers Latin beats, blues, acoustic and classic numbers, a touch of comedy and musical theatre with a grand finale with Scar Legends, Hope and Glory. Uh, The third item is headed Hundreds of Assaults on Emergency Workers. There have been hundreds of assaults on emergency workers in the region since 2020 New Figures show. In 2020, police forces began to record a new category of crime, assaults without injury on emergency workers. Latest Home Office crime figures show 307 assaults against emergency workers have been recorded by Thames Valley Police between March 2020 and the end of 2022. The offence applies to attacks on blue light workers, paramedics and firefighters, along with many others, including prison officers, NHS workers and St John's Ambulance volunteers. And the fourth and final item is headed Fire Recruitment Criticism. Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue Service's decision to join a national scheme to recruit station managers without fire service experience has been criticised. The service has taken part in the direct entry scheme, which aims to recruit station managers from a variety of sectors without fire service experience or the traditional firefighter promotional route. Oxfordshire has advertised a position for the role with a salary of between forty-six and £51,000. However, Oxfordshire Fire Brigade's union described the decision as quote-unquote disappointing. Uh, The next story is a very uplifting story, and it's from Carterton. And the headline is, Gymnastics Club is up for top award. And the story goes as follows. In the space of just three years, Carterton Gymnastics Club has gone from hosting classes in a rented school hall to opening their own purpose-built facility. And now the club has been shortlisted for the Community Club of the Year Prize at the British Gymnastics Awards. This shortlist applies to clubs with more than 250 members. Carterton Gymnastics Clubs operated for over two decades with waiting lists as long as 500 people. But after years of fundraising from their tireless team of parents and volunteers, the club now boasts more than 650 members. Despite its growth in 2022, the club has not lost its family ethos or its emphasis on gymnastics for all, and director Susan Marsham 
believes that this is why they have been recognised on a national level. We formed a team of parents and volunteers, she says, and opening a purpose-built facility has been three years in the making, said Mrs Marsham, 37, from Reading. There were so many highs and lows where we thought we would get funding and then we didn't and then we did. We came across all these different problems, but we have now been open for two years and to walk in and feel the buzz when all the children are in and the preschool is going on, it is just amazing. I think we deserve to be shortlisted because it has been such a community effort to get this club to be the success that it is. Previously, she said, the club was running from a school hall that we hired by the hour. All the equipment was kept in a container and we just relied on parents arriving early to the class, putting all the mats down and chaining the bars down. It was just so limiting because we had 500 people on the waiting list at any one time. The British Gymnastics Awards are community-led and are about championing those who make the sport an uplifting experience for all, with more nominations than ever before coming in this year. And there's a picture of some kids in the gymnastics club in Carterton, and I must say it does look like a very impressive facility, so well done them. The headline of this story is More Than One in 20 Homes in County in Fuel Poverty. Nearly 8% of households in Oxfordshire were in fuel poverty when the energy crisis began two years ago, new figures show. National Energy Action said the data only tells part of the story, as the energy crisis has worsened over the past two years. Figures from the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy showed 23,197 households in Oxfordshire were in fuel poverty in 2021, 7.9% of homes in the area. Energy prices increased significantly towards the end of 2021, with many suppliers in the UK going out of business. By the end of December 2021, 28 energy companies had closed their doors. The proportion of homes living in fuel poverty in Oxfordshire was down slightly from 2020, when 8.1% of households struggled to heat their homes. A household is considered to be fuel poor if they are living in a property with an energy efficiency rating of band D or below, and their disposable income, after paying housing and energy costs, is below the official poverty line. Adam Scorer, Chief Executive of National Energy Action, said increasing energy prices and falling income has pushed many into fuel poverty. Behind these figures are the stories of people we hear from every day. People in crisis, sacrificing hot meals or showers to afford a warm room, or forced to ration their energy despite it decimating their health, he said. He added, Yet the two-year time lag on the data means we won't know the full picture of the energy crisis until this time next year. Yet government figures released massively understate the current crisis. Nationally, about 3.2 million households in England, 13.1%, 
were in fuel poverty two years ago. A Department for Energy Security spokesperson said the government knew it had been a difficult time for families, saying it had covered around half of typical households' energy bills over the winter. It added, Our financial support, together with progress made in delivering energy efficiency measures, has prevented a significant increase in fuel poverty following Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine and weaponization of gas supplies. My story is entitled Child in Care as Women are Arrested for Shoplifting. Four people were arrested on suspicion of shoplifting from a number of different shops in Whitney as a child was taken into care. Officers were made aware of a group of women suspected to have shoplifted on Sunday afternoon, with CCTV images showing them leaving Whitney Town Centre in a vehicle. Police found the vehicle in Oxford and detained the passengers for a search, where a number of items were found before three were arrested on suspicion of shoplifting. There was also a young child in the rear of the vehicle, allegedly not suitably secured in a seat. The male driver was found to have no insurance and the vehicle was not registered to him. He was arrested on suspicion of shoplifting, driving without insurance, not having the child suitably fastened in a seat and taking a vehicle without consent. The child was taken into care of the police and social services were contacted. As part of the investigation, officers are making inquiries on where the pictured item above comes from. The photograph shows a, a bust. I'm not quite sure what material it's made of and what size it is, but it's a, of a lady looking quite, um, uh, well, happy looking, I suppose, and um, it's been stolen from somewhere. Um, anyway, if you recognise the item or have any other information in relation to the incident, please contact Thames Valley Police with reference number 432301976200. And now it's time for the editor's choice. And this week, like many others, I sat and watched some hours of the coronation on television. I say watched, but I was also listening to the tremendous music which accompanied the grand occasion. One highlight, I thought, was when Charles disappeared for a while behind a screen for a private moment involving the Archbishop of Canterbury, sacred oil and, many believe, almighty God himself. So this was accompanied by Zadok the Priest, composed in 1727 by George Frederick Handel, who Wikipedia tells me was born in Germany but considered himself English, lived here for more than half his life and died eventually in London. Uh, and it's an inspirational piece and I've stolen a couple of minutes of it to entertain you.
So that was the wonderful Zadok the Priest, two minutes of it, um, which was composed in the early 1700s for George III's coronation, and it's been played at every coronation in this country ever since. But what I really want to add to that is a little bit about my own experience of the of the weekend. <clears throat> so I was one of many, as I said, witnessing um, that coronation, even only on a screen. Uh, in my own village, we had a full programme of events, starting on Friday evening with cricket and a barbecue at our recreation ground, then dancing to a live band on Saturday night and lunch for 150 people on the village green on Sunday. I helped with the cooking on Friday and manning the bar on Saturday, so I feel I was able to judge the mood quite well. On Saturday, most were in the celebratory mood, laughing and chatting, dressed predominantly in red, white and blue, sometimes all three, and keen to talk about the spectacle they'd seen on television earlier in the day. The village was similarly decked out in those colours, with union flags and bunting adorning many houses. My Republican neighbours didn't turn up at any festivities. Fair enough. He probably wasn't the only one. He told me that he and his wife went shopping at Waitrose, taking advantage of the shop being empty and the car park being uncrowded too. But one opponent of the day's events in our neck of the woods stood out. He's the owner of a house near the village green who had a big yellow and black poster in his front window stating, Not my king. He did, however, erect his own marquee near the three communal tents put up by volunteers, but a sign on his one stated sternly, Private Party, Friends and Family Only. Our village is fortunate in having many can-do hands-on helpers. A coronation committee formed by half a dozen working mums have been beavering away in the weeks leading up to the celebrations to put on our programme of events. The remarkable thing to me, at least, was that they were all women in their 30s and 40s, rather more fresh-faced than the retired folk who run everything else in the village. The coronation bank holiday on Monday was focused on volunteering, the big help out, it was called. The Prince and Princess of Wales and their charming young family led the way, helping to spruce up a scout hut in Slough. Their generation, like the school mums in my village, made me think this country is in good hands. And next is our weekly quiz. First, the questions and answers from last week, which was set by Nigel James. And you might hear our readers tonight chiming in with the answers before I get to them. First question was, Robert Moog pioneered which musical instrument, an electrical instrument, in the 1960s? Synthesizer. Synthesizer. Well done. Question two, what is the capital of the Australian state of Queensland? Brisbane. Cairns. It's Brisbane. I lived there once, actually, but, so I know it's right. Uh, in, uh, question three. In which African capital city does the White Nile meet the Blue Nile? A little more difficult. Anybody know? Is it Addis It is Khartoum. Well done, Stefan. <clears throat> question four. Muscat and Semillon are both varieties of which fruit? Grape. Grape, indeed. One that's slightly harder again, unless you're from the industry that I worked in. 
What is measured in quires and reams? Paper. 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 Paper, indeed. So that was last week. Um, next, we have this week's questions, which are all about the Eurovision Song Contest, which takes place this weekend. Um, nobody yell out the answers this time. Uh, we'll give you a good chance of um, working them out at home. Question one. Which city is hosting this year's competition? Question two. Which country won last year's contest, and why isn't it hosting, as would be usual, this year? Question three. Who was Britain's first Eurovision winner in 1967? There's some whispering going on here. Um, Question four. Who was Britain's fifth and, so far, last winner 30 years later? So 1997. And my last question for you this week is, who will be our representative in the city that's hosting this weekend? And now to our notice board. Sadly, ten deaths were announced in the Gazette this week. Christine Barker, late of Whitney and Bampton, died on the 2nd of May. Shirley Ann Clack of Whitney died on the 1st of May, aged 72. William David Howells, known as Bill, died on the 27th of April, aged 83. Kathleen Howes died on the 2nd of May, aged 96. Cecily Henrietta Jarvis died on the 26th of April, aged 81. Andrew Kidd, known to friends and family as Andy, died on the 12th of April. Ronald William Richens, known as Ron, of Carterton, died on the 27th of April, aged 73. Philip Stratford, of Minster Lovell, died on the 29th of April, aged 78. Cliff Townsend, formerly of Leafield and North Lee, died on the 24th of April, aged 78. And finally, one of our own, Derek William Turner, who listeners will recall us mentioning last week. Derek, who had lived in Whitney for 60 years, was a long-time volunteer with us at Whitney Talking News. He died on the 29th of April, aged 94, our condolences to family and to friends. We have one listener with a birthday this week, Mrs Maggie Knight of Whitney, who will be 67 on the 16th of May. We hope you have a wonderful birthday, Mrs Knight. As a quick reminder, as well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several other ways to listen, including podcast, internet, on our website, wtn.org. UK, follow the links to listen online. And if on any week you do not receive memory sticks from us or there is a technical problem affecting them, you can always listen on the phone by dialing 01993 555 986. And now we have some more news items in a busy week, um, starting with Debbie. And the headline of this article is Firefighters are honoured for going the extra mile. Firefighters who have served for a combined total of nearly 240 years have been presented with medals in a special ceremony at Blenheim Palace. 
Oxfordshire's Lord Lieutenant Marjorie Glasgow BEM attended the prestigious event to present Her Majesty the Queen's Long Service and Good Conduct medals to 11 firefighters, each with 20 years' service. The Queen's medal title was retained as the individuals achieved their 20 years' service in the reign of Queen Elizabeth II and in line with the Royal Warrant. Rob MacDoodle Oxfordshire County Council's Fire and Rescue Service's Chief Fire Officer said, It is really important to celebrate the remarkable achievements of these incredible people who have served their local communities for 20 years and more. It reflects the service and public's appreciation and gratitude for their devotion to duty. Just as importantly, we recognise the effects the efforts of our support teams, fire cadets, volunteers and those members of the public who have also risked their own safety to save others. He added, The event allows us to congratulate those individuals who've reached an impressive milestone in their career or have gone that extra mile that deserves specific recognition. Now moving on from uh, the previous story from Debbie there, this is... Um another fire service story, and this one actually explains uh, some of the work that those firemen were recognised for, the kind of work that they do. Um, And the headline is, Firefighters Tackle Huge Scrapyard Blaze. And the story is, A large fire broke out in a scrapyard in a West Oxfordshire village. There were also reports of explosions, and smoke could be seen from two miles away. The blaze caused significant damage to the site near Great Rollwright near Chipping Norton last Thursday. Six fire crews from across North Oxfordshire and two crews from Gloucestershire Fire and Rescue Service were called to the blaze at 2.09am. Firefighters from Hook Norton, Charlbury, Deddington, Burford, Whitney and Banbury responded with colleagues from Morton in Marsh and Stowe on the Wold. Firefighters described the fire as, quote, significant, but said it had been brought under control within two hours. Pictures taken by the fire service show flames engulfing a large heap of scrap surrounded by machinery. The cause of the fire remains under investigation at this time. And there is a, well, spectacular but somewhat scary photograph of a huge conflagration with scrap burning and and huge flames and smoke leaping up into the air with firemen in the foreground and it gives you a very good idea of just how brave these firemen are. My story is entitled Stars Literary Festival is a Real Page Turner. Chipping Norton welcomed nearly 70 authors as the town celebrated its 10th literary festival. Several events sold out to see well-known names such as Country Files' Adam Henson, radio journalist Ed Storton, columnist Marina Hyde, popular crime writer Claire McIntosh, TV historian Greg Jenner and BBC arts expert Will Gompertz. Budding writers dipped into a range of writing workshops and kids from the ages of three took part with drawing, storytelling and action stories. More than 50 public events and 16 school activities were held and over 3,000 tickets were sold. 
Festival director Jenny Dee said, We've had such a warm feedback from authors and audience alike. It's fantastic that ridiculously small group of volunteers can pull off such an extraordinary event. And there's six of, I presume, authors sitting in front of a row of rows of bookshelves. And uh, amongst the titles that they've got in their hands to tell the variety is The Movement, See What You're Missing, Hags, uh, Scoff, A Fortunate Woman, The Hair-Shaped Hole, that's hair, H-A-R-E, and it's illustrated with a hair with very, very long ears, uh, What Remains, and Ten Things I Hate About Me. My, my story here is entitled Single Punch Sent Man's Victim Tumbling to the Ground. A man who punched another man in the head claimed he had not been summoned to carry out the attack. Ashley Cipher was said to have recognised the victim in the car park near Carterton's library from pictures on Facebook, and although aware of a history of difficulties with other parts of the family, he himself had never spoken to victim Stuart Hayes before knocking him down on February the 13th last year. A sceptical judge, Maria Lamb, summarised the 33-year-old's position with the West Oxfordshire man came before her to be sentenced. Completely of his own initiative, he carried out his own attack. She said, with account was apparently dis- disbelieved from the probation, by the probation officer who wrote a pre-sentence report who was said to have concluded that Cypher was summoned to carry out the assault. Mitigating, Angela Porter said her client's instructions were that he did not know Mr Hayes, would be there, he did not know he'd be there, and in the heat of the moment, decided he would punch the van. <laughs> Earlier, Prosecutor Andrew Jordan said Cypher had walked off immediately after throwing the punch. The victim hit his head on a bin as he fell to the ground, suffering a cut on his forehead and a fracture to his right cheek. In a a victim impact statement summarised to the court, Mr Hayes said he missed four days of work for which he would normally have been paid £60 a day. He expressed concerns about reprisals. The court heard that Cypher's uncle, Peter, who it was said had driven his nephew to the scene, was also charged with causing grievous bodily harm. However, prosecutors dropped the charge when the victim, then in prison, serving a sentence for on other matters, refused to attend the trial. Delay had left nephew Ashley in limbo for more than four months, waiting for his uncle's trial. He's been very anxious and and distressed about what is happening and what is likely the sentence to going to be, defence advocate Miss Potter told the judge. She said he was remorseful for what had gone. Ashley Cipher, formerly of Sycamore Drive, Carterton, pleaded guilty to the magistrate's court and G- to GBH. Judge Lamb deferred the sentencing for six months, ordering the defendant to do his best to get a job, save money to compensate his injured victim and stay out of trouble. If you comply with those conditions, although I have in mind a prison sentence, it won't be a sentence of immediate imprisonment. But being plain about it, if you don't, then, then all options are open, the judge said. Cypher will return to the Crown Court on October the 20th. 
Judge Lamb will impose a five-year restraining order banning the defendant from contacting Mr Hayes. Uh, this article is entitled Fury at Ridiculous New 20 Mile an Hour Limits. This should get everyone going. A villager has vented his anger over ridiculous and ideological blanket 20 mile an hour speed limits and said they'd left opponents feeling there is nothing they can do. Chris Pine railed at the measures which don't stand up and questioned why Aston had been, quote, unquote, lumped in with Bampton in the county council's public consultation. He said, Bampton is at least twice the size of our parish and has its own separate needs different to ours. The consultation, which was carried out in August 2022, showed the majority opposed the reduced speed limit. From 68 replies, 31 or 45% objected, 25 people or 37% supported it and 6 people, 9%, had concerns. The measures were approved by the County Council in October. Adding to his frustration that the consultation was ignored, Mr Pine said only 14 responses came from Aston, Cote, Chimney and Shifford with the majority from Bampton. And, he said, the public consultation showed people from Alverscott, Bister, Coate, Geisley and Leeds and Whitney participated. Additionally, only three responses indicated they would walk or cycle more, one of which included Duncan Enright, who is County Councillor for Whitney North and East Division. Mr Enright wrote... Although I don't represent the area, I know it very well as a neighbour. The support of the local parish councils and county councillor is, of course, paramount. However, I would also support this, not least because of the safety improvements and the opportunity for local businesses to benefit from safer access. Aston, Cote, Chimney and Shifford Parish Council did question why the County Council introduced 20 mile an hour speed limits without their permission and at a meeting on April 20th, voted on whether to stick with 20 miles an hour, revert to 30 miles an hour or have a hybrid of 20 and 30 miles an hour. Chairman Russell Laforte offered a combination in eight areas, but each was voted down in favour of 20 miles an hour. At the meeting, Mr Pine presented the results of his survey he'd carried out to gauge public opinion with 53 critical responses and told councillors their vote would be a quote-unquote forever moment for the village. I appealed to them. I said, as parish councillors... You should be listening to what your residents want. They voted for anecdotal or personal reasons to do with the safety of their child or their pet. Uh, After crawling around Whitney at 20 miles an hour, what better way to cool off than with tea and a lovely cake? And this next story is about a new cafe that's opened in Whitney. And the headline is, New Cafe Opens and It's a Real Family Affair. A new cafe has opened its doors in Whitney and it's a real family affair. 
Cafe Marada 39 has taken over premises on Corn Street, formerly occupied by Gelato 39 Dessert Parlor. Owner Jose Beto Gonçalves is running the cafe with his sister Tanya, while his wife Donna is supporting behind the scenes. Mr. Gonçalves said, For years I've been working in the catering industry, working my way up to head chef, but my dream has always been to open my own cafe. My family are from Madeira, and my father was the heart and soul of the family until his passing. I vowed that I would open a cafe in his name, and that is where Marada comes from. Marada is our family nickname. Mr. and Mrs. Gonsalves, who live in Alvescott, took the plunge after seeing that the gelateria had vacated the site. Gelato 39 opened in May 2022, but in March, the owner, Rasal Rahman, announced the business had ceased trading. Mrs. Gonsalves said... Our dream was to open a cafe to set our children up with somewhere they feel welcome and are able one day to come and help out. We have two children with special needs in our family and both have limited diets, so we are aware of how difficult it can be to eat out. And there's a lovely picture of Mr. José González holding a delicious-looking chocolate cake with a satisfactory large slice taken out of it and it doesn't say whether the lady is his wife Donna or his sister Tanya and she's toasting the new cafe with a lovely looking cup of tea so good luck to them my story is titled six new covid deaths across the county there have been six more coronavirus deaths recorded across the county new figures showed Two deaths were recorded over the latest weekly period in each of Oxford and South Oxfordshire. Another was recorded in West Oxfordshire and an additional death took place in Vale of White Horse. No more coronavirus deaths were recorded over the latest weekly period in the Cherwell district. The latest figures showed that by April the 20th, a total of 257 people had died in Oxford 336 people in South Oxfordshire, 274 people in Vale of White, 248 people had died in West Oxfordshire and 361 people in Cherwell. They were among 27,989 deaths in the South East, a total of 190,609 deaths recorded in England by April the 20th. Right, my last piece is entitled Giraffes Take to Sky as RAF Boosts Children's Hospital. A plane with cuddly toy giraffes on all 291 seats flew from Bryce Norton to London's Great Ormond Street Hospital. Local schools, RAF bases, community groups, radio stations and individuals have donated to get their toy a seat on board the Voyager aircraft. The flight was organised by Giraffes on Tour charity, founded by Ian Conway, in memory of his daughter Louise, who died of leukaemia in 2013. He said, My daughter Louise had a toy giraffe called Geoffrey. Well, she was in in hospital in Great Ormond Street, and that's how the idea started. 
Since we started, we've had giraffes flying all over the world, and it's been fantastic. It's something that brings itself, brings light and joy, and it might be, means a lot to us that so much money has been raised with so many people who've been involved. Voyager pilot, Flight Lieutenant Mark Scott, who flew the giraffes, said he got the idea of seeing the charity in the news. He said, my daughter also has a toy giraffe who happens to have come with me on a few trips around the world. So I got in touch with Ian and pitched the idea to him to fill an RAF Voyager with sponsored giraffes to raise money for the charity. The adventure has so far raised £4,000 for Great Ormond Street Hospital, with total still rising. Well, that last story from Stefan wraps up uh, this evening's uh, programme. Um, we all, I must say, are sitting here scratching our heads working out how an RAF plane managed to fly <coughs> from Carterton to um, the hospital in London. Um, but uh, let's assume that it landed nearby. Perhaps at Northolt, I don't know. But anyway, that completes this edition and we hope you enjoyed it. Our thanks go mainly to the Whitney Gazette for the articles we've used. And my thanks go to our recording engineer, Rob Oxspring, who clipped that uh, Zadok the Priest piece in the middle of it, so I'm grateful to him for that. Uh, and to our readers, Debbie Diacon, Adam Lethbridge, Valerie Palmer and Stefan Gabshevich. Sorry, Stefan, did it again. Uh, admin this week was by Rachel Fielder and Anne Trelaw, and our copiers and packers are... Debbie and myself. Keep listening at the end of the programme for highlights of this week's best radio and TV listening. Um, but meanwhile, I know that everyone here at Whitney Talking News would like to wish you well, and so until our next edition, we will all say goodbye. 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 <clears throat> Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, May 13th. And we begin with a fact-based medical drama about the pioneering research which led to the birth of the first IVF baby in 1978. The story is examined from two sides. The first is the emotionally charged view of the couple desperate to have a child. The other is the anger felt by the two specialists as they battle against what they feel is an uncaring medical establishment. The play, Turning Point, First of Millions, is broadcast on Radio 4 at 3 o'clock on Saturday. Different kind of drama featuring Hercule Poirot goes out on Ready for Extra at 5pm when Agatha Christie's detective is required to exercise his little grey cells to solve the mystery of who committed the murder in After the Funeral. Many of you remember the broadcaster and writer J.B. Priestley, so you will enjoy the programme in which Stuart Marconi poses the question, whatever happened to J.B. Priestley? Stuart hears about the prejudice that Priestley encountered from the literary aristocracy of the 1920s and 30s because of his popularity and background. It is Archive on 4, it's on Radio 4 at 8pm. If you'd prefer something more topical, you may wish to join millions tuning in to the Eurovision Song Contest Grand Final on Radio 2 
at 8pm on Saturday evening. Sunday, May 14th. During the periods of lockdown, a large number of people sought ways of learning how to relax and discovered that unusual noises often did the trick. Composer and Oxford University professor Jennifer Walsh presents a hypnotic exploration of digital noise and modern meditative music that aims to optimise the individual and help us relax. In 21st Century Relaxation Tape, Radio 4, 4.30pm. If you prefer something more traditional to relax to, you may wish to join in to the choral evensong, Bristol Cathedral, on Radio 3 at 3pm. Or jazz record requests on the same channel at 4. And staying with the musical theme, Sunday night is of course Music Night, a tribute to the late, perpetually beaming, strictly judge, Len Goodman. His stories are told with his much-loved wit and passion on Radio 2 at 8pm. On to suggestions then for some programmes that are broadcast at the same time of the day, right throughout the week, that all begin on a Monday and carry on every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, same time, same radio station. Into the Night, A Year with the Police, is Book of the Week. Matt Lloyd-Rhodes describes his year volunteering as a special constable in South London. He heads out on patrol with regular officers and learns about the variety of calls to which they have to respond, including searching for a missing wallaby. Book of the Week, Radio 4, 9.45am, all week. Composer of the Week is Tchaikovsky. Well, Monday's broadcast focuses upon Swan Lake and features Matthew Bourne and Monica Mason, two of British ballet's brightest stars all in conversation with donald mcleod radio 3's composer of the week 12 noon journalist and broadcaster jeremy bowen continues his account of life on the front line and its many challenges he's much respected journalist and well worth listening to for an insight into the trials and tribulations of bringing the news into our living rooms it's called front lines of journalism it's on all week monday to friday 145 radio 4 and actor Tom Hanks reads his debut novel about the production of a superhero movie and the comic book that inspired it. It's a cast of colourful characters populating a tale that is much a reflection on America's past and present as it is on the world of movie magic. It is Book at Bedtime, it's on Radio 4, and it's called The Making of Another Major Motion Picture Masterpiece. On to the rest of the week then, starting with Tuesday, May 16th. And Nick Warburton is a prolific writer for radio and his play this afternoon is centred on a family boatyard and the clash between the brother and sister owners and the manager, appointed by the brother who doesn't even like boats. You still with me? Events escalate when a strange young man moors his boat on the family waterfront. All will be revealed downstream, Radio 4, 2.15pm. Author and presenter John Ronson speaks to Matthew Paris about his admiration for the lead singer of the specials, Terry Hall, who died in December 2002, and whose stock still presence on stage belied an approachable and kind man away from the limelight. It's all in Great Lives, Radio 4, at 4.30pm. And staying with Radio 4, In Touch brings us the news information for the blind and partially sighted with Peter White. Every week, 8.40pm, Radio 4, Tuesday evening. Wednesday, May 17th. It's often said we live in strange times and it seems you can almost buy almost anything on social media these days. Well, how about a British dad for your child? In Buying a British Dad, 
A year-long BBC investigation has uncovered how some pregnant migrants in the UK are paying British men thousands of pounds to pose as fathers to children that aren't theirs. Buying a British Dad is on Radio 4 at 11am on Wednesday. Some of us will remember the infamous 1966 Bob Dylan concert in Manchester where many fans felt betrayed when their hero turned electric. Well, this forms the background to Robert Forrest's play on Radio 4 called I Don't Believe You. Two youngsters face a personal sense of betrayal when they meet by chance a girl, a spinner of tall tales, the boy convinced that dishonesty is all around him. I Don't Believe You is on Radio 4 at 2.15pm. Football enthusiasts will of course know that Manchester City versus Real Madrid is in the Champions League on Wednesday night. You'll be able to hear commentary from the second leg of the Champions League match on Radio 5 Live, build up from 7pm. If you'd prefer classical rather than football, then you can tune to Classic FM. Smooth Classics at 7 with Zeb Sones, presenting some calming classical music from 7pm. Thursday, May 18th. And as you'll know, Vernon Kay has taken over from Ken Bruce on Radio 2. A hard act to follow. Well, Vernon has help from classic rockers Def Leppard, who with the BBC Concert Orchestra will be performing a classic song, a new song and a David Bowie cover. It's Vernon Kay on Radio 2 from 9.30 through to midday. Also on Thursday, new reports from the United States of increased homicide rates are sadly all too familiar, and New Orleans is no exception. In fact, it's become the murder capital of the USA. City resident Anna Adams delves into some of the reasons why this came about. As well as moving accounts from the bereaved, she uncovers resilience as locals step up to provide a musical route out of trouble. You can hear this on Radio 4, 11am in Crossing Continents. And lastly for Thursday, when Tina and Cass adopted young Freddie, he was in a bad way, troubled by anxiety, trauma and PTSD. Over the years, they discovered that walking was a great way of relieving some of those symptoms. They've already completed several long-distance routes, and Claire Balding joins them on the Thames path on this Thursday afternoon. Freddie talks about his knowledge of trees and plants and introduces her to his assistant's dog, Garlic. It's all on Radio 4. It's Ramblings at 3pm. Finally, Friday, May 19th, and Colin Firth stars as Rupert Brooke in Catherine Parker's play about the English poet who died during the First World War. It explores one of the most enduring but complex relationships with women. The play is entitled The One Before the Last, Radio 4 Extra, 3 o'clock, Friday afternoon. Once again, listeners' views on programmes broadcast on the BBC for the previous week, and they give their opinions as well. It's feedback on Radio 4 with Andrea Catherwood introducing the programme at 4.30pm. Talking of viewpoints and opinions, any questions? Alex Forsyth chairs this week's programme from Kirkhill Community Centre near Inverness with two peers, one each for Labour and Conservative and SNP, MSP, Kate Forbes. It's any questions on Radio 4 at 8pm. Well, if you have little or no desire to finish your week with politics, you could do worse than tune again to Classic FM for Calm Classics, presented by Ratula Shah at 10pm. That's it. Thank you to Terry for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. Hello, this is Lizzie from Otley Talking News. 
with vast selection of audio described TV programs starting Saturday the 13th of May to Friday the 19th of May 2023. So, let's see what we can find that might interest you this week. We start with Saturday the 13th of May. A lamb rogan curry and chocolate profiteroles are some of the items to whet your appetite in Mary Berry Love to Cook at 11.30am on BBC One. Bargain Hunt is from Lempster in Hertfordshire today at 1.15 on BBC One. In Sahara with Michael Palin, the actor embarks on the last leg of his journey before finishing where he started, Gibraltar. This is on BBC Four at 7pm. Although not audio described, how about a visit to Liverpool as 37 countries take part in this year's Eurovision Song Contest from 8pm to midnight on BBC One. If you prefer a film for Saturday night, there are several choices. The sci-fi adventure Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is on ITV1 at 8pm. How about a period drama based on a Thomas Hardy novel? In Victorian Wessex, the bewitching and fiercely independent Bathsheba Everdeen attracts the romantic attention of three men from very different backgrounds. Far From the Madding Crowd is on BBC Two at five past eight. Or there is an action sequel starring Tom Cruise. After being wrongly accused of murder, Jack Reacher goes on the run. Jack Reacher, Never Go Back is on Channel 4 at 9pm. Moving to Sunday the 14th of May. Key politicians and public figures are interviewed this morning in Sunday with Laura Koonsberg at 9am on BBC One. A look at the burgeoning relationship between two rare Amor tigers is featured in Animal Park at 10.30am on BBC One. Several choices at 9 tonight. A new Sunday night period drama starts tonight. Manchester 1956 and desperate for a better life for her children, Annie responds to an advert that promises a prosperous new existence down under for a tenor. But the Robertsons arrive in Sydney to find Aussie life is anything but. The £10 Poms is on BBC One at 9pm. In the other Sunday night drama on ITV One, Lucinda hears from someone who is prepared to expose her recent actions unless she cooperates. Malpractice is at 9pm on ITV One. A repeat of his travel documentary sees Simon Reeve visiting Brazil in Simon Reeves, South America, at 9pm on BBC Two. 
Now for those programs which are on at the same time throughout the week. The following programs are all on BBC One at the same time each day, Monday to Friday. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15. Bargain Hunt is at 12.15. Doctors is at 1.45 but only Monday to Thursday. And Escape to the Country is at 3pm. Dickinson's Real Deal is on ITV1 at 2pm Monday to Friday. Heartbeat on ITV3 is at 5.55pm on Monday and at 6pm Tuesday to Friday. Let's have a look at Monday the 15th of May. Clive Myrie's Italian road trip continues each evening this week at 6.30pm on BBC Two. Two teams compete in the tournament's opening semi-final in tonight's University Challenge at 8.30pm on BBC Two. We have two new drama series tonight starting with a crime drama based on real events. DCI Paul Bethel is tasked with reinvestigating the cases of three murdered teenagers 29 years before in the Port Talbot area. Steel Town Murders is on BBC One at 9pm. Over on ITV, we have a psychological thriller starring Vicky McClure. A bereaved mother agrees to meet the man imprisoned for the murder of her daughter, but she begins to suspect that somebody else committed the murder and is planning to kill again. Without Sin is on ITV1 at 9pm. And part two is at the same time tomorrow. The medical documentary series following the work of clinicians as they race to deliver life-saving treatment in some of the most challenging terrains in Scotland returns for a new series tonight. Rescue Extreme Medics is on Channel 4 at 9pm. On to Tuesday the 16th of May. The drama set in a Greater Manchester Comprehensive returns. Kim is rocked by a blast from the past and a new pupil causes problems in Waterloo Road at 8pm on BBC One. Alan Tishmarsh and the team are in Northamptonshire to help firefighter Rebecca remodel her small garden. Love Your Garden is on ITV1 at 8pm. With Joyce Barnaby convinced she hit somebody when she drove into a ditch, the discovery of a body on top of a grave leads to a spooky investigation for the Midsummer Murders team at 8pm on ITV3. The remaining 14 chefs kick off knockout week by being split into two teams in tonight's MasterChef at 9pm on BBC One. 
The documentary series that examines the role of forensic science in bringing criminals to justice returns. Forensics: The Real CSI is at 9 p.m. on BBC One. Kevin McLeod and Natasha Hook keep tabs on new projects, plus revisit ones in Graven Hill and Glasgow. In the first episode of the new series of Grand Designs, The Streets, on Channel Four at nine pm. Now for Wednesday, the seventeenth of May. It's the grand final. So, whose residence will be judged the most impressive? Find out in Wales Home of the Year on BBC Two at eight thirty pm. Several documentaries at nine tonight. Through first-hand accounts and archive footage, a new four-part documentary series recounts the largest mass shooting in U.S. history. At the 2017 Route 91 Harvest Music Festival in Las Vegas, 11 Minutes: America's Deadliest Mass Shooting is on BBC Two at 9 p.m. Part two follows at nine fifty. The second in the three-part documentary series, following youngsters in the care of Coventry Children's Services, shifts the focus to teens Byron and Bailey, who are both set to leave the care system. Kids is on Channel Four at nine p.m. A new five-part documentary series starts tonight. Showing the daily reality for newly qualified nurses, especially in A and E, as they deal with life and death situations and everything in between. Rookie nurses is on BBC Three at nine p.m. Part two follows at nine thirty. How about some comedy to end this evening's programs with the first of two programs from 2020, featuring an array of sketches chosen by the comedian as her favourites. Victoria Wood, The Secret List, is on BBC Four at 9 p.m. Part two is at 11:35 p.m. Thursday, the 18th of May. Amal Rajan interviews Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, the American journalists at the heart of the Watergate scandal in the early 1970s, and whose work toppled President Richard Nixon. Watergate to Trump, Amal Rajan interviews, is on BBC Two at 7 p.m. The second group of seven hopefuls compete for the chance to work in a professional kitchen in MasterChef at 8 p.m. on BBC One. Max has a plan to seize Sir Jim Sturrock's money from Maggie Lynch, but he won't tell Jake what it is, leaving his brother close to entering a secret alliance with Sheila. Find out more. In the drama Guilt at 9 p.m. on BBC Two, Wolfie and Clark love their bus, but not as much as Mr. Cole and his nieces. 
Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton star in Inside Number 9 at 10pm on BBC Two. Tonight, Fiona Bruce presents the tropical debate from Fort William in Venetia, where a panel of politicians and other guests answer questions from an invited audience in Question Time at 10.40pm on BBC One. And finally, we come to Friday the 19th of May. It's Living Room Week and there are just four contestants left in the competition. The Big Interiors Battle is on Channel 4 at 8pm. The ten remaining cooks are challenged to serve up a dish they can eat with their hands. In tonight's MasterChef at 8.30pm on BBC One. In tonight's history documentary, we visit the homes of Vita Zackville West and Rudyard Kipling as the conservation experts get to work on the properties in Hidden Treasures of the National Trust at 9pm on BBC Two. Dom and Kay are struggling to meet the Bright Marsh Gang's payment deadline in the comedy drama Black Ops at 9.30pm on BBC One. Andy and Lance protest against the felling of an oak tree in this episode from Series 3 of Detectorists at 10pm on BBC Two. We end the week with a romantic comedy starring Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. An uptight Manhattan book editor treats her assistant like dirt. So when she gets threatened with deportation to her native Canada, she pressurises him into marrying her. The proposal is on ITV3 at 10.45pm. TNF Soundings 